Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 412. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I am very excited to bring you a conversation with a colleague and new friend who I met earlier this year in London, and he's a very easy person to talk to as I immediately started talking to him when I ran into him in the restaurant at the hotel we were at before we even really joined the conference goings on. It was the day before started talking about trauma and kept on going. And I was like, Oh, I definitely want to invite him to my podcast. So my guest today is Markin Valmi. Markin is an EMDR trained and certified therapist who is also an Emdria consultant in training. And he's the author of trauma stories, discovering strength through our vulnerabilities. He's a licensed mental health counselor and the owner of Bedrock Counseling, a private practice based in Florida. And he also offers consultation for aspiring clinicians, including in EMTR. Markin has worked with special needs children, overwhelmed adults, community mental health, mobile crisis, children in group homes. He's worked in nonprofits and with substance abuse. And he lives with his wife and family in Florida And I think you're going to enjoy, well, I hope you will, listening to our conversation. We talked about betrayal trauma, and this is a topic that I want to go into more depth with more in the coming year. I just did a training in betrayal trauma myself, attended it, and 
it helped me think about that subject more deeply. And Market and I were talking about how betrayal, trauma hurts so much because of the trust that's formerly present in the relationship when the betrayal occurs. And we talked about some examples of how the mental health field and helping professions in general have more impact when they cause harm because of their inherently helping related nature. And it can really affect people's views about asking for help, receiving help, and being willing to show vulnerability, as he talks about in his book. So we are going to talk about how EMDR helps and all of the ways that betrayal trauma can get in the way of our ability to feel safe in our lives. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Uh, Enjoy my interview with Mark and Volmi. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so happy to be here with Mark and Volmi. Mark, and thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm so happy. We're finally getting together. We were in London at the Not Your Typical Psychotherapist Conference, and I invited you then to be on the podcast, and then I dropped out of life. I had COVID and I finally <laughs> sent you the invitation and I'm glad that we're making it happen. Absolutely. Thank so you. Can, can we start off by you just telling our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do before we get into our subject for today? Sure. My name is Mark Involmi. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. My niche is trauma. I'm a EMDR trained therapist, certified consultant in training. I just love doing EMDR and and also just helping people find relief with their mental health struggles. And I think in using EMDR, I'm still, I still do consultation. It's just been a really great way to help people connect the dots, not only on what they need to repair and heal from, but to answer the why question. Why am I this way? Why, why do I view the world and people this way? Why am I having this disharmony within my mind and body, this disconnect. How do, how do I gain a sense of attunement and connection and safety? So I just love that stuff. And I also published my first book this past summer, Trauma Stories, Discovered Strength Through Our Vulnerability. So that's been a really cool experience too. Yeah. Let's see it. Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> Trauma Beautiful. Stories. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll put a link to your book in the show notes. And thank you. I'm really, yeah, I'm really happy that we connected. It was so random in London where you had kind of just rolled in from California, right? No, 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 no. Florida. So it was Florida, a long, okay. yeah, it was a long trip, but it was, it was, it was fine. Yeah. I knew it was yeah. a warm place, but it was at least on the East coast. So you had not the extra three hours of travel, but exactly. <laughs> yeah, we I was in the restaurant and you came in and you had just gotten there and I was like talking across the restaurant and so I knew we were going to hit it off and today what we're uh-huh. talking about we wanted to talk about betrayal trauma which has been 
a topic that a lot of us therapists are talking about recently because there has been some there have been some big betrayals in our field by people Absolutely. in our field that have really impacted very many of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, betrayal trauma comes in so many forms, but I think at the heart of it is it feels like a betrayal because the, per- the person or the institution or the entity that has caused the violation, you feel blind, you feel blindsided. You didn't see it coming because it came from someone who you would least expect it, whether that's their relationship, a, a marital relationship, a dating relationship, a friendship, a business relationship. It's still a form of grief that we have to process, but I think even more so, we have to acknowledge and add language to the impact of the offense. And oftentimes we don't, we suppress it, especially as clinicians, we have all this knowledge about mental health and we sometimes forget that we need our own medicine that we give to other people to really create space for ourselves so we can move forward and heal. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I appreciate what you shared there because I think when people think of betrayal trauma, we often think of like a partner cheating on a partner within a monogamous committed relationship. And, but one of the things you said that's really important about the concept of betrayal trauma is that broken trust. It's like, it's not somebody who you thought that you had no expectations of and you're like, oh, well, what did I expect from this person? It's like, this person should be someone who I can trust because they made a vow, they signed a contract, they promised something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think whether your niche is trauma or not in the mental health field, I think we have to acknowledge that there is some traumatic impact from a betrayal. It leaves a wound that causes us to look at scenarios, people, and different yeah. situa- and situations differently, especially if the context of that perspective fits the way we were betrayed. So if, you let's say my betrayal was, I had a girlfriend who broke my heart, broke up with. So now whenever I see couples and I see a young lady being very nice and considerate to her spouse, I look at it with a grain of salt and say, it's only a matter of time before she breaks his heart, <laughs> right? Even if I don't say that, there's this sense of where I'm believing that. And I can, it can be, and it's such a skewed perspective. I can't make my perspective the normalization of everyone else. But I, I do think it's healthy for me to say, you know what, I was wronged. It is healthy for me to say, these are the feelings I'm experiencing. This is where the disturbance is showing up for me in my body. Now that I've acknowledged that, can I just create some margin and just sit with that? Because I think sometimes we're so quick to be robotic about it. Okay, now that I know what this is, I need to fix it. I have stuff to do. I have people to serve. But as first responders, we need to give ourselves the same level of grace and care that we would give our clients. And and some, some of us need more time than others with the portrayal. And because it's so recent and the depth of the betrayal is so hurtful that sometimes we're not, we're not so sure we can get over it. And I think that's where it's trauma therapy can really step in to give us not, not heal us to the point to where the offense never happened, but to allow us to continue to move forward in spite of the offense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not always easy. I mean, I yeah. think 
you know, as for me, I specialize in relational wounds and childhood trauma. So, you know, when you're a child, you're depending upon your caregivers to keep you safe because you cannot keep yourself safe. And then when they break that trust and then later in life as an adult, someone who you expect to be safe, whether it's because of their role, like if it's a police officer, a medical provider, a mental health provider, their role is like, you know, police, it's protect and serve and mental health therapists and, and medical providers, it's do no harm, you know? So there's this sort of way that we buy the role, just like a child would say, you know, parents don't hurt kids. Parents don't do things. Parents are the ones who love kids the most, and they're the ones who take care of kids. You know, that's what their role is. And it kind of shatters the way you see the world. Well, if my parents could hurt me, then who in the world could I trust? Because that's biologically who I'm tied to. They're the ones that I expect to always be there. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's, uh, I think that initial shock and denial, it, it definitely has a lingering effect after a betrayal. Like we really need to grapple and wrestle with, I can't believe I just experienced that. And, for, and it's by this person or by these group of people. And I think that initial sting takes a while to, I wouldn't say disappear, but settle to the point where we feel we're ready to talk about it or to attempt to move forward. It's, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, as, as you said that the impact of the betrayals that we experience, you mentioned kind of that understanding the way it changes the way we view things, you know, is important. And I was thinking about that impact, like with one thing that I was thinking about that I've been very bothered about this whole year before I even met you was the situation where the FTC explained that BetterHelp had been, you know, which is a tech-based mental health services company for anybody who's listening is not familiar with it, that they had been dishonest about their privacy practices while having, telling consumers, this is a safe way to receive mental health treatment and really promoting people seeking help, maybe for the first time, making it seem really accessible and available and safe. And then when the FTC came out and said that they had lied about their privacy practices, which I believe, from what I understand, that even though BetterHelp accepted the settlement with the Federal Trade Commission and paid the fine of about seven or eight million dollars. They deny that they did anything wrong. But what I read, the FTC was pretty clear. They said they lied to consumers. So to me, that was a major betrayal. And I felt that as a betrayal of our field, because even though that company is a tech company and not a group of therapists, the people that they are using for the services or therapists. So it's like mm -hmm. they exploited the therapist, in my opinion. And they clearly exploited the consumers who were using their services, in my opinion, because they 
according to what the FTC said, they said this will be private and then they sold their private information when they said they wouldn't. So at least according to the FTC, that's not my, my, yeah, you know, statement, but that's what they said. And then it just made it, it made me so disheartened because it's like, now how are people going to believe when we say in our field that we're here to help, that they can trust it? Yeah. It's, it's just another black eye to the mental health cell. Uh, I think what betrayal trauma attempts to do is it, it, it tries to resurrect the negative beliefs that were imprinted by our initial traumatic experience. So if I experienced something traumatic and it left negative beliefs, of I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable. After a betrayal, those negative beliefs start flirting with me again. It's as if they're trying to come back, right? Because it's, it's like, it's now this adverse validation of all the things I worked so hard to, to push I worked so hard to not have to believe anymore and to, to to move past. And now after this injury, I'm starting I'm starting to question whether those negative beliefs were true or not. So I I think betrayals have a way, if we don't get the the necessary help with them, they have a way of causing us to uh, believe the lies about ourselves. You know. I'm going to get training in EMDR, but I haven't yet. But I know a lot about trauma. Don't judge me for not being trained in EMDR. But no, no, there, there are a lot of other trauma modalities out there. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But regarding EMDR, does it help change those implicit beliefs about those imprinted negative beliefs about self and two-part question because mm-hmm. in betrayal trauma i feel like there's also like beliefs about like the world as a like the world is not a safe place yeah you know that's a good question i think it does because when let's say you're my client and your negative belief is it was my fault what happened to me at five right but we what we have in the mdr is a positive belief which is like the goal of where we we aspire to attain to eventually when we've come to a place of resolution with that, with our trauma. And that, that positive belief could be, but Laura, you're only a child, right? So once your belief system makes the transition over to you are only a child, uh, then you can now hold on to the new belief of it wasn't my fault. I was only a child, right? Mm. And it happens so naturally because the, one of the best ways I could explain how EMDR works is to use a visual from the 90s when we had those square computers with all of those wires and the knot behind EMDR. When we're traumatized, it's like all the wiring in the limbic system, the middle part of our brain and the brainstem. Some stuff are knotted up. And of course, there's this thing called the amygdala, the fire alarm. It's constantly ringing, telling us people aren't safe. The world is not safe. We're still in a heightened sense of dysregulation. EMDR comes in and untangles those knots naturally. It's almost as if the same way that the body can can grow a scab after a cut. It's almost the mind's way of saying, you know what? Let me meta- let me heal from these negative beliefs by allowing my nervous system to fully metabolize a lot of this trauma tension that has been storing. And it happens so naturally in real time that I've done. 
EMDR therapy with hundreds of clients, I still get a kick out of listen, listening to them, like finally see their facial expressions when the light bulb comes on. It wasn't my fault. I was a lich. Like they're saying this to me. And I'm like, okay, I think, I think we made a turn, right? And it happens so naturally that it catches them by surprise. Mm, that's beautiful. So yes is the answer to your question. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I just wasn't sure if it was like the beliefs about self or the beliefs about the world. I guess, you know, even beliefs about the world, if you have a belief like the world isn't safe, it really comes down to there's no place that I can be safe. And if you can change that to I can be safe even if or I can, you know, find safety even though there may be danger or something like that. I I like that you bring that up. I I think when you're asking that question in regards to self in the world, they are so intertwined. And I actually, if you don't mind me sharing, I actually have a personal experience from that. When I was in college, I was walking to get something to eat in my neighborhood and I was robbed at gunpoint. I talk about it in my bus and it left me with really bad PTSD. Somebody put a, you know, 19, 20 years old, they put a barrel of a gun down on my forehead and all I wanted to do was get something to eat. They were robbing me. And for years, I felt unsafe. I would, I, I was very hypervigilant, always felt the need to wash my back, felt highly dysregulated. And after doing the trauma work and, and coming to a place of resolution, I now, I still believe the world is insane, but I feel sane. So I'm mm-hmm. able to navigate through the world with, with a sense of, I'm not going to the ATM at night. I'm not driving down this street at night. I don't need to be out, out unless I'm, unless I'm celebrating a special occasion like the holidays or a birthday, certain times of the night, I just don't need to be out, to, you know, and I think having that mindset, it, it almost felt like I was able to re-engage society and enjoy life again. I stopped mm. living with the sense of, I'm afraid of the world. Everything's scary. Let me go into my cave. Like, it's like you're, you're free, but you're living in a mental prison because uh, mm. trauma can keep you that, that shackled. until you get help with it. Yeah. There's so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry you went through that, but also it's beautiful to know that you've broken free from that fear and healed because it's not weird or crazy for someone to be like, well, how in the world would I possibly feel safe? I was robbed at gunpoint. Someone put a gun to my head. If I can't walk down the street and go to get something to eat without fear of being robbed, then how could I be safe in the world. But it sounds like to me that it's more about like, I have the discernment to be able to sense what are the best ways to keep myself safe and to know when I'm in a safe or unsafe situation versus, you know, that generalized fear of everything and everyone makes you think you're never safe. Meanwhile, sometimes that threat is not present and other times it is. And you need to be able to actually discern. Yes. Yeah. Right. 
you're right. And that's the key word, discernment. Really? Because if I just generalize it and think the world's not safe, nowhere is safe. I'm still staying behind closed doors, locked up at home with the very charged nervous system that feels like a threat could come around the corner at any minute. I could have the best alarm system, all the weapon, all the weapons in the world, like I'm at, I'm in Fallujah and still have a sense of I'm terrified. I'm not safe and, and be very guarded. And all that's going to do is cause my nervous system to work in, on overdrive. And now I'm very anxious or, you know, and it just robs you of any sense of regulation, ability to be present. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like you're, you're living, but you're not really thriving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like with our current political climate, um, it's a little bit different from what we were talking about before in terms of like the relational lack of safety or betrayal within relational experiences, even if it's like a relationship to an institution or, a you know, an individual or an institution. But like when you think about what there's certain people who have an agenda to make everyone in our country be afraid and want to have like enough weapons, like as if they were in Fallujah and <laughs> right. And, you know, but what you see is now DoorDasher knocks on the wrong door and the homeowners coming out with literally guns blazing. And yeah. And there's this whole thing happening where it it's that phrase the fabric of our society, not phrase, it, it rips the fabric of our society because, you know, it begins like, who can you trust? Which is kind of what I guess I was saying at the beginning about the betrayal by, well, actually it was before we were recording, I think, but you and I were talking, I was sharing that, you know, when someone who should be trustworthy, a neighbor, you know, it should be safe that if you go and knock on someone's door, like my car broke down, they should say, here, you can borrow my phone, you know? But so it shakes just a general sense of safety in the world that there's so much fearfulness. And then people, I think people respond, and I guess even systems respond if we're really looking at it in the most compassionate way. Systems are like mistrustful too. And, you know, but it's not I, I, the systems have more power, so they need to they need to get their crap together. You know, I agree. I think the example you use about and just the climate we live in, a DoorDash guy can knock on a door and get shot. I think that as um, validation to the need of more mental health professionals in our society, why we need to normalize the conversation because there are so many people who are. You know, there's this there's this perspective that if you have PTSD, you're a combat veteran. When the truth of the matter is, most of the people with PTSD and complex PTSD have never been in the military. They're everyday people going to work, smiling, seem like they have it together. But once they're triggered, once they hear that sound, once they once someone touches them at a particular place, they go they time travel back to when that offense happened and they're triggered. And everything within them is activated, right? And so many of us, our nervous systems are charged because we have unresolved things and we're trying to navigate our way through life with these unresolved issues, not knowing that 
our trauma responses will show up in relationships. It'll especially show up around strangers when we feel like our boundaries have been violated. Because if I have unresolved trauma, my boundary could be no one knocks on my door. I know it sounds weird. That's what your door is for. But I could be so traumatized that a knock on my door reminds me of when I was eight. I heard cops knocking before they kicked the door down and maybe they accidentally shot someone. Who knows? I'm just making up a hypothetical scenario. You don't know what that person's thinking mentally. And I'm not condoning someone knocks on your door. You, you heard him. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you looked at it from the perspective of the traumatized person who feels the need to shoot a DoorDash guy at the door, something went wrong years ago that they probably left unaddressed. It, it, it sat on both feet, if, if you ask. Yes, I agree. I agree. Actually, yeah. It's like if you're listening and you feel that if anybody knocks on my door, I'm going to have to kill them or I'm going to have to have my gun or I have to have a gun to protect myself from all the people who are continuously trying to kill me. It is an indication that there's something, whether you've been in combat or not, that is making you feel unsafe and it's giving you a skewed perception of reality. Absolutely. Even if you have a totally valid feeling for feeling that way, like having been robbed at gunpoint, having been abused, mistreated, physically assaulted somewhere along your life. But most of us who haven't had combat think, I mean, you and I know not because we're trauma therapists, but most of us who haven't had combat or been robbed at gunpoint as an adult, because even like if a child was there when their parent was robbed at gunpoint and the child wasn't the direct victim of it, like the gun wasn't pointed at them, I bet you if that person comes into therapy as an adult, they're probably going to say, I don't know why I feel the way I do. They're not going to say it's because when I was eight, my mom and I were at the ATM and she was held up at gunpoint. They're going to be like, well, that did happen, but, you know, I don't really feel anything about that. So I don't think that's really affecting me. I agree. If the person was to come to you and they were like, yeah, that did happen when I was eight. My mom was robbed at gunpoint and I witnessed it, but I don't really think that affected me. I just don't trust anyone. And I have an arsenal of 50 guns in my house. I have one in every room, always within reach, but it's not because of that. But then nothing else has ever happened. So I don't really know what's wrong with me or why I feel this way, you know, and then they come to you for therapy. What would you, what would you, how would you look at that as working with EMDR? I think would you think that can... it's probably not that thing? Well, I would automatically know. <laughs> Most of the time when someone when a client tells me that didn't affect me or I had a yeah. great childhood, I already know there's something under the hood that I need to find. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely say, okay, let's explore. I, I, I always want to have a posture of curiosity. Uh but I never want to make a client feel like because I'm trained in this area, uh, I have the right to tell them that I know themselves better, that I know that I know what's in their heads and their bodies better than they do. So I do want to give the client the margin to almost walk in tandem with me. But I would make a suggestion of let's let's explore if anything's there or would you be comfortable with that? Let's let's just see if if nothing's there, then we could always move on to a different target. 
And we could either target the incident at eight to see if there's anything there, or we could deal with the present day symptoms that they're feeling. And in EMDR, as when you start with the present memory and we work out, we'll, we'll always work our way back to the original connection because trauma stored in the nervous system. I, my parents were robbed at eight and now I, in my forties, I say it doesn't affect me. And I go to a trauma therapist. He's going to say the current level of stress and anxiety you feel as an adult, where do you feel into your body? And I'll say my chest and my gut. Say, okay, now let's think of an earlier time where you felt that same level of disturbance in your body. And I'll start to explore. When I was an undergrad working, working on final exams, let's think further back. When I was in high school and before I know it, I was like, wow, this is how I felt the night at eight. But I won't come to that conclusion by just conversation. In the process of doing EMDR and scanning my body, paying attention to my emotions and what's coming up for me, once you light all the bells and whistles up internally and you're doing EMDR, your mind's instantly going to make the connection. that There's still something there for me from back when I was eight. That's such a clear description of how that works. I hope that anybody who's listening and has been like, I'd like to try EMDR, but I really don't get like what happens. I think that's really helpful. And thank you. And I also want to, I just, I, I definitely want to say, I agree with you a hundred percent as a trauma therapist. You know, if I'm talking about how I'm conceptualizing the work with another trauma therapist, I'm thinking, well, let's be curious about that thing that they mentioned happened when they were eight. I'm not going to say it really doesn't affect them or it really does affect them if they're saying it doesn't. But at the same time, and I would never want anyone to think that I know better than them or think that I think I know better. They don't think I know better. They might see that I'm acting like I think I know better about their life than them. And I, I would I would need to be checked if, you know, by my client, like, hold up <laughs> if, if I were to do that. But, but we also know that because of dissociation, it's like a clue. And you mentioned when we were talking before, before we started recording, you mentioned kind of like the way you approach things is sort of like, you know, putting together clues and it's a clue that there's something that objectively was likely to have been a traumatic experience for any child to witness something like that, but they say it doesn't affect them. So that indicates to me that there's a high likelihood that dissociation protected them from feeling Absolutely. their trauma response in that situation. And so it's not to tell them, oh, I know better than you about yourself, but just to like pay attention. Oh, here's a clue. If they said it was terrifying, then you know it was traumatic. But if they say it didn't affect me, it's like that's incongruent with what I know about trauma. So that's probably an indication that there's something here to be curious about. But I love how you said we need to look under the hood. There's there's something there, most Thank likely. And, and I think that's why if someone's in this field as a trauma therapist, continuing consultation is great because Oftentimes when we're novices in this field, we're looking for that fight or flight response of trauma. But we oftentimes forget about the other two, the free state and also the fawn state. The free state is that sense of dissociation you mentioned where some people are call it, it's another term, depersonalization, where mm -hmm. there's almost like this disconnect between 
themselves and their body. So when there's when a client is saying, I don't think I was affected by that, they act they truly do mean well. Right. It's sometimes yeah, they're not lying or trying to hide something. Exactly. Because the goal of therapy is not to make you calm. Because sometimes you're so calm that you're frozen. You're numb. You don't feel anything. But the goal is to have you so regulated that you can be present in the moment and taking the entire experience. Because if you're if you're if you're so numb and frozen that you can't feel anything, how can you be present? Because you're not even aware of what's going on internally inside of you. And if you have a heightened sense of fight or flight or or a fun response, which means people pleasing, you can't be present either because that hypervigilance has you aware about all of the things that don't matter. It don't even pertain to what's taking place right in front of you. So people try to willpower their way through. I need to work harder at paying attention when my wife's speaking or or with someone sharing. But could it be we just need to work through all of the stuff that's in the way internally? Because a whole bunch of behavior modification techniques will not calm an overcharged nervous system. Mic drop. That's the perfect place <laughs> to stop because, yes, it's behavioral stuff is fine for a beginning level. But when you have deep, unspoken, implicit memory, yes, somatic methods like EMDR, brain spotting and other things like that are are the ways to access and let it heal. So Markin, where can people find you if they want to consult with you for EMDR or they want to work with you as a therapist for EMDR and they want your book? Where can they find you? Great. Well, I start off on my book, Barnes & Noble's Amazon, any online retailer, you could find it. If I'm ever fortunate to meet you in person, I usually take a couple copies with me. I'll, I'll be, I'll love to sign a cop, a personalized copy for you. As far as finding me, my, the name of my practice is Bedrock Counseling, B as in boy, Bedrock Counseling. On Instagram, I'm at Bedrock Counseling. And also my name at Mark and Volme. And same thing on Facebook, same thing on TikTok. My website is www.bedrockcounseling.com. So I think. With social media, that's probably the quickest way to find me because, you know, on my LinkedIn bio, it has everything. It even has my other personalized page. If someone ever wants to book me for to speak on mental health, to learn more about the book writing process or what the, the, the different stories in my book, I think social media will be the best point of contact. Wonderful. Well, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to share a small sliver of your knowledge today about betrayal trauma and EMDR with us. It was wonderful to have the time to get to know more about you and what you do. And I hope that many people will check out your book and get in touch with you. I'm sure there are some people who would love to consult with you. Exactly I appreciate you it, Laura. Things. It was, it was an honor. Thank you for having me on. And hopefully this won't be our last conversation. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. All right. Take care. You too. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT 
at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.